0: Welcome to the Life Well-Lived podcast. I'm Kayla Brandon, a holistic health coach and wellness enthusiast. I am absolutely obsessed with learning about people who live their most authentic lives. In this podcast, you'll hear stories about those who truly live a life well-lived and what they do mentally, spiritually, and physically to get there. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump into your daily dose of practical advice on pursuing a life with purpose and passion. This week, I interviewed Miranda DeVozo, a talented writer and producer in LA who just happens to be my best friend. In this episode, Miranda shares her journey from Detroit to Hollywood in pursuit of chasing her dreams of working in the television and film industry. We get pretty real about what it takes to quote unquote make it in LA, why it's important to take risks in your career and in life, how she has stayed so incredibly grounded living in a major city for nearly a decade and what the pandemic has taught her about mindfulness and her health. Without further ado, let's get into it. Miranda, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Kayla. I'm honestly so honored to be here. I'm a fan of your podcast and you uh, being my best friend, I'm a huge fan of you as well. Um, (laughs) And Finn, shout out to Finn.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm, I mean, the feeling is mutual. That's why I invited you on, not just because you're my bestie and you, you were my maid of honor in my wedding, and I love you so much, but because you're so accomplished and kind and all of these things that I think that like women and men should aspire to be like, and you've done so much with your life in a short amount of time. Um, and so being, fr- coming from the Midwest, I thought it would be great to have you on to showcase someone who kind of like quote unquote made it in LA. Um, I feel like th- there aren't that many people that I know personally that have done what you have done with your life and your career and and your just general lifestyle. So Before we dive in, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, kind of how you, how you were raised, um, and, and what you're doing today. Um,
1: yeah, that's always like such a loaded question, like tell us about yourself. So I, (laughs) I hope I'm able to answer this. Um, uh, obviously I'm from Detroit, um, grew up as, you know, your best friend and it's a position I hold very dearly. Um. I grew up with a working class set of parents and that really shaped my narrative for the rest of my life. And the, the both of them, particularly my dad, like inspires everything that I do. Um, You know, at, at certain points in my life, he'd had three jobs. Um, So really like watching him as I grew up um, and watching how he supported us, he always really instilled in me, like, go after what you want, like, pursue your dreams with everything you have. Like, he's just, he's such a selfless person. And um, my dad went to U of M for journalism. And so he he's like the best storyteller in our family. But um, after college, he had kids really soon and didn't really get to, like, pursue his dream So growing up, I just like really looked up to him and, you know, I think I learned a lot from him and I got like the writing bug from him. Um, And yeah, so my dad is really the reason that I'm a writer Um, and uh, yeah, really the reason that I'm here today. So uh, shout out to Jer Bear, my dad, Um, but I am a writer in TV and film I moved to LA eight years ago after I like stalked my first boss (laughs) (laughs) Um, because, like, how else was I supposed to get here? Um, But I moved here eight years ago. I started off as an assistant and worked my way up. Um, Then I was a writer's assistant, then an associate producer. Um, I've worked on shows like When We Rise, which was on ABC. I was a producer on Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath, which was a wild run. Um, and most recently, I was a producer on The Thing About Pam, which was on NBC, um, which is probably the most challenging show that I've ever been on. And um, now, like that wrapped, and now I'm developing my own show with John Wells, who is like one of my all time heroes. He created my favorite show, The West Wing. Um, and shows like Shameless and Animal Kingdom, and the show Made on Netflix. Um, so I feel just like things have come full circle from when I was like a struggling assistant.
0: You really had the stereotypical path where you go to LA and you're really starting from the bottom and trying to work your way up to hopefully a you know producer, maybe a director one day. Um, you know all the things that that people in your industry aspire to um i'd love to look at the beginning of your career the you know the all the nitty gritty things that you had to go through um to get to where you are today and i'm just curious were you always interested in this industry or was it something that you kind of stumbled upon in college through internships um so talk us through your early career years cuz i think that's something that i don't know the generation today as well as i know millennials cuz that's what we are Um, But I think when we graduated college, we had a a little bit more rosy picture of maybe what things would look like. And we were really shocked when reality hit. I don't know about (laughs) you. Particularly
1: the two of us. Yeah, it was
0: it was terrible (laughs) So talk us through
1: that. Yeah, I mean, I've always been like a really curious person by nature, Um, so much so that I like make friends in the grocery store. Like I know each and every person in my neighborhood (laughs) Um, and i you know grew up just asking people about their lives and um so because of my dad because of his journalism you know path in school and how much i like worshipped him and just looked up to him i just instinctively went into journalism and um studied that in college and you know always was a huge fan of movies and film I grew up like one of my favorite movies is All the President's Men and um, Broadcast News and Almost Famous, which chronicles the life of Cameron Crowe, who is a uh, Rolling Stone, was a Rolling Stone writer turned to filmmaker. Um, and by the time like you and I in college started to get internships in journalism, the journalism that I like fell in love with in popular uh TV and movies was just had disappeared. Um, You know, we were being asked to like write about things that would get the most clicks. And um, it just felt really soul sucking and it, it felt really like invasive and, you know, writing articles. It felt like I was making people talk about things that made them really uncomfortable. Um, So It really wasn't until I met um, my first boss, Dustin Lance Black. Um, I met him like early on in college when um, he spoke at my school and I just very boldly asked him if I could keep in touch with him. Um, And I got his personal email and his phone number, his phone number I respected, but um, his email, I like, I just, I always looked up to him because he's found a way to, integrate like stories about social justice and um, real life stories that actually like really mean something. He wrote the movie Milk um, and won an Academy Award for it. And he's just really like, um, he writes things that uh, just expose like the underdogs and like the heroes of of our world. Um, so he really taught me that like I could take journalism and the stories about real people and put them on TV and film. Um, so yeah, I I like stalked him for two years until we graduated, um, including like, you know, <laughs> I saw on Instagram that he was in Canada, Windsor, Canada. Um, And I sent him a message and was just like, Hey, that's like 20 minutes from my house. It was like an hour and a half. (laughs) Um, and I was just like, would love to get coffee with you. And so of course he said yes. And I, when I met up with him at coffee, I had like all of the books and like a bunch of articles, um, that were, uh, source material for the things he was working on and I had them all like tabbed and highlighted <laughs> and I came like with an agenda and the agenda was like to get a job and um, you know he was he was really impressed and was just like all right as soon as I have a job I'll let you know. Um, so he I was actually about to move to New York when he called me and I ended up turning down a job in New York and accepted the job working for him. Um, And then like during the negotiating um, of the salary, like it was a very low salary. It was also a part-time job, but I just like in my gut, I just like knew so badly that I wanted to work for him. Um, But I just was like, you know, coming from like a really um, working class upbringing I knew that I couldn't survive on the salary. So I asked for like, I think it was like $5 more a day or a week. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Um, But his business manager just like full stop was like, all right, the job's gone. And I just was like so shocked. And that was my first moment of like, wow, Hollywood is just like really cutthroat. Like whatever they offer you, you have to take and settle for that. Um so I was really I mean I'm sure you remember cuz you were <laughs> uh I was really really depressed and sad. I cried for like 3 days and you know had turned down the job in New York and was just like what am I going to do? And um my dad I like have this burned into my brain. He came into my room, sat at the edge of the bed like, you know, pushed over like the piles of tissues and just said like Miranda, you know, I know you're really sad, but I think you should still go. And I was just like, Dad, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's nothing there. I'm so embarrassed. And he just said, like, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life if you don't go and just try. He was like, your mom and I will always be here. And, of course, we don't want you to move, you know, to the other side of the country. But, you know, I – I just have so much faith that you'll be able to, to work through this and figure it out. And so I moved here with no job, um, like $400 in my bank account and no place to live. Um, I moved in with like my cousin's friend who I didn't really know that well. Um, and then after a week, I got a job at Macy's, worked there for two weeks and like got myself settled and um then i i emailed uh lance um he goes by lance by the way um so if i say lance in the interview i'm talking about dustin lance black um i emailed him and was just like hey i know you gave the job to somebody else but just to let you know i'm here i'm working would love to just get coffee with you um we met up for coffee and he was just like i'm so impressed that you still moved here um, something happened with the person he hired and you know, then I I quit Macy's after two weeks. Sorry, Macy's, and then I, I started working for him and I worked with him for almost four years. Um oh, man. so just have to take chances on yourself, you know. Um and like the time working for him wasn't easy, but I learned so much and it's you know. I think every job I've had since then is because of that first job, you know.
0: I think there's something to be said about taking a chance and just moving. And you don't always have to have all the answers. I'm also not advocating to put yourself in maybe an unsafe situation. Um, If you don't have a place to stay that's safe and reliable and you're a single girl, Mm -hmm. I think um, that can be kind of like challenging and scary. But at the same time, there is a certain level of, of risk tolerance that you have to have when pursuing your passions and taking a chance like moving to LA when you're from the Midwest is a huge change. It's more expensive. It's further away from your family and all your friends and your support system. Like you said, you didn't have a job. You worked at Macy's. So I think all of this goes to show that you just developed a lot of resiliency in those first four years. And I'm just curious as to what what you feel like you've gleaned from those four years working for Lance and how you've carried it into these, the previous positions that you've had and then your current one now that you're working on because you're developing, you're developing a show and it's, you're working with people that have established and created some of the most iconic TV shows in modern history. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I want to elaborate
1: on one thing you said before, which is like, yeah, like it's really risky just getting up and moving. Um, and I have like a lot of people from Michigan or just, you know, are my past reach out and ask for advice because they have this thing that they want to do. And it's always so flattering. Um, and I, I, I tell them all really the same thing, um, you know, and they, they well, actually they all have the same thing that they tell me is that they don't have enough money like they just need to save up x y and z to move to this place and i, I think if i had that mindset i would be waiting forever you know and yeah it was really scary um and really scary to only have like <laughs> three digits in your bank account um but like if you have like such blind passion and you just like really believe in yourself you can make it work um, I just, I just don't, I don't really believe in the, I have to have my ducks squared away in order to make this happen, you know? Um, and like, maybe I would have had a more comfortable experience if I had more money. Um, but I, I never grew up with money. So like, I'm not used to that. Um, but anyway, that was the last thing I wanted to say about that. Um,
0: no, it's, an uh, important, it's important to talk about things like that because people are scared to discuss, their financial status a lot of the time. And I think it's important to recognize that you wouldn't be where you are today had you not packed your bags, gone to California, and just on a hope and a prayer said, I, I'm gonna make this work. I'm praying that it works out. But if not, my home is always there, right? Like your parents are always gonna be there, your family and your friends. Michigan's not going anywhere, certainly. <laughs> um but LA is just one of those experiences where, especially when you're that young, like right after college, what do you have to lose? You literally have nothing to your name. I mean, I certainly didn't either. Trust me. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like, what are you really risking if you don't take a chance when you're that age? I think that's such a, an important reminder for people in that age group.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like, if I wanted to move back to Michigan and get a job with the Detroit Free Press, like I totally could have. I just I needed to check this off my list and give myself this chance before doing that, Um, uh, you know, but the the things I learned, like, in the four years working for Lance and just, like, moving here, I really learned to be resilient. Um, There were so many times, especially in the first year, that I wanted to come home, um, like, talked to my mom every single day, talked to you every single day, just, like, oftentimes, like, searching for parking in a busy neighborhood at night, like having to walk like several blocks to get to my really small apartment that I shared a room with, with a stranger. Um, I feel like I stayed in that apartment. You did. You did. You you stayed in my like room that I shared with
0: another person. And that person wasn't there. That's why I was visit. That's why I could stay. Because I was yeah. like, this, we couldn't make this work otherwise. So I've witnessed, yeah, I got to witness all of that. And yeah, just hearing you describe it, I'm like having flashbacks. But it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like dingy or anything, but it definitely, you know, shows just how much, how badly you wanted to be there because you were willing yeah. to share a room with someone you didn't know. And like, this wasn't college. This was a few years after.
1: Yeah, I, I like, I took the bus, which like, there is basically no public transportation system in Los Angeles. Like the buses are super sketchy. Um, but yeah, I, I was just kind of willing to do anything. Um, but you know, I first working for Lance, I was like a typical, you know, personal assistant doing anything from his laundry to like all the grocery shopping. Um, like, and and, you know, over time, your boss starts to trust you more and like bring you into their creative process. Um, and pretty early on, I started helping him with a project called When We Rise. And I ended up like being the perfect assistant for that project because we had to interview a ton of different real life people. It chronicled the LGBT rights movement, um, like just after Stonewall in San Francisco. Um, and it chronicled from you know, after Stonewall to when gay marriage got passed. But so I ended up really getting to use a lot of my journalism skills and help him, you know, interview these real life people. And I ended up learning so much more from him about like journalism and interviewing and like how to craft a story than I really did in school. I have to be honest, sorry. Um, and yeah, it just like those four years and... Really scraping by on you know the lunches that Lance and I would get together, I'd like save half of my lunch then for dinner um, it not only taught me resilience but it taught me like gratitude for what I have now and the life that I've built um, and I just I learned so much about myself too and how much I could handle and just like. You know, that I deserved to be here.
0: Yeah. And you still, I mean, I, to this day, I feel like you're so grounded. Um, and LA can really be influential when it comes to having a certain lifestyle or having a lot of money or, you know, presenting a, a certain lifestyle, I guess, that is appealing to um, people in your industry, probably. So I'm just so impressed that you've like stayed so grounded. Do you feel like you have found people whether co-workers or people in your industry or just you know friends you've made along the way do you feel like you have like a community there that also keeps you grounded because that's another thing I think a lot of people are nervous about is making friends all the way across the country you know moving coast to coast or moving to a different country where they know absolutely not a single soul yeah um it was hard to make friends at first um
1: you know so my first boss, Lance, really became my like whole life. And then it it wasn't until we moved to Vancouver to film um, this project that we were working on where I met like all of my friends. Um, and those people are still my friends to this day. Um, but that was like a like my first year, my whole first year in LA, I wanted to leave. I hated it. I hated it because... I didn't have my community here. Like I, I wasn't in a neighborhood where your neighbors are like out and about. It was very much like apartments, like everybody kept their doors shut. Um, And I think that was the hardest part for me because I had like such a group of core friends growing up. Um, And I ended up reconnecting with some high school friends who also lived here. Um, uh, And Yeah, like over time, I was able to like build my community. And with every job that I had out here, I kind of like collected people along the way. Um, And I think that's also like, one of the reasons I'm, you know, somewhat successful out here is because I'm, again, like really curious. And I I seek counsel in a lot of people, friends, but also the people who I'm working with. Like, I'm not afraid to just ask them, like, hey, like, I know we're working and, you know, we have a lot to do, but I'd love to, like, get a half hour of your time just to ask you some questions. Um, so I ended up, like, interviewing all the people that I worked with and, you know, in casual ways, not like, you know, sit down, let me record this, but just, because I wanted to learn about their lives and everybody has a different version of their, like how they made it in LA story. And um, those people often became my mentors. Um, I met one of my mentors, Jessica Borshyski, on the very first project that I ever worked on. And she really like, after I stopped working for Lance, um, she helped me get almost every job I've had since then. Um, And you know, it was just because I asked her to have lunch at Nordstrom one day, you know, yeah. um, I was, I knew she was going to Nordstrom. I was like, Hey, can I tag along? Like, you know, helped her pick out some outfits and she treated me to lunch and, you know, we just clicked and there've been so many people like that. And I think that's like my biggest, like advice to anybody really in any career is just like, talk to the people around you, ask how they got there and try to make a real connection with them because, you know, when you share with them what you're passionate about and what you want to do, um, you know, whether it's a couple months, a year down the road, when something opens up, they'll think about you and the experience you had with them. And, you know, that's exactly what happened with Jessica Borschiski and I.
0: I think the the importance of mentorship is such a a lost art these days with you know we're all working virtually and it's like harder to connect in person obviously um it's a little bit different potentially in your industry where writers rooms are a thing and i know you probably did a lot of zoom writer writers rooms in the past um but that that personal in person connection is essential for building Not only just a a general community in in a new city, but also, like you said, to establish work relationships and mentors. And I feel like that's how people get jobs, just as you mentioned. That's how I've gotten every single one of my jobs was not because I applied on LinkedIn. It's because someone knew someone who knew someone who knew me and I could advocate for myself once I got my foot in the door. So, um, like, kind of in that same vein. Can you talk about some of your biggest struggles and challenges and then also your biggest triumphs. So something like the thing about Pam, which I am obsessed with and we just finished not too long ago. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah. Like the biggest, I
1: think, you know, there've been lots of big struggles. I think getting through the assistant years was a huge struggle. Um, it's really, it's really hard to make the jump from assistant to anything else. Really? Um so you really have to have people who believe in you. For me, that person was again Jessica Burschisky. Um and so that that was really hard. And you know, like my goal, my dream, like the end all be all, was to be a writer to write things that people watch on TV. Um, and it was really hard to write my first sample, um, and you know, having no time as a personal assistant, like from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed is dedicated to the person who I'm an assistant to. So it really took like incredible discipline to like at the end of the day, whether it was like 10 PM or one in the morning to like sit down and write, even if it was just one sentence a day. And it took me years to write the first thing that I wrote. Um, but I'm so proud of myself for doing that. And like, I mean, I would decline offers to hang out with friends because I was like, no, no, no. Like if I have just a couple hours to write this one thing, I'm going to do it. Um, So I think that's like the thing I'm most proud of actually, that I was able to write an entire film while I was an assistant. Um, And, you know, no one's bought that film or anything yet, but I'm still so proud of it because it just like shows how hard I worked and just like how much I believed in myself. And I think another thing I struggled really hard with and I still struggle with today is imposter syndrome and, you know, just not believing that I deserve a seat at the table. I think working with so many, like, accomplished creative people around me, particularly working for someone who was an Oscar winner every day, I would look at his writing and just say, oh my, like, I... I should give up, like I'll never be able to write anything based on this like Academy Award winners work that I get to read every day. Um, And you know, then once I got to know him, I understood that he also had imposter syndrome and I would go and listen to lectures with some of my other heroes like Aaron Sorkin. Um, And I really spent a lot of time listening to other writers stories and how, um, listening to their struggles and it, it helped me. I like, obviously I still struggle with it today, but, um, like the biggest thing as like a creative person, you just have to, there's so many people who aren't going to believe in you and who will turn down your work and say, it's not right for them. Um, and you, like, it's, really hard to just keep going when people reject you it's just like dating you know you you feel like you're so perfect for this one person like your script is so perfect for this production company but they don't see what you see um and at first it took me a really long time to recover from those rejections um but I just I don't know what it is I don't know why I have this blind passion, but um, I just know that I'm supposed to be doing this. So I, I keep going, I keep swimming, I keep running. Um, and I think that's the hardest part is just like overcoming the rejection. And because it's not like, um, I'm trying to describe it. Like it's really hard to believe in yourself and believe that you're the most talented person in the room is really hard. And you have to have that like inflated ego to do this. And I'm not someone who has an inflated ego at all. Like, I'm constantly like, oh, that, you know, I'm dyslexic and I grew up with like really bad grades in school. Um, and so I constantly think that I'm like not smart enough. I'm not, you know, the best at anything. So that was really hard to overcome. And I think it was like, you know, working for really accomplished people, listening to. Other writers, um, like Steven Spielberg is also dyslexic, which was really cool <laughs> to to figure out. And he's like one of the most accom- I mean, if not the most accomplished person in our in my industry. Um, so yeah, that that was the the biggest thing to overcome. And then I think, yeah, my biggest triumph, I guess, was was getting, I think my like first big break was my job on the thing about Pam. Um, and that came recently. Yeah, that
0: came. I got the job like a little over a year ago. That is what I mean, that is wild. I hope people are paying attention because you just talked about so much that I just absolutely adore. And this is why I wanted you on the podcast because you're just like a wealth of knowledge, but you're also so grounded and humble about everything because I think everyone can relate to imposter syndrome you clearly learn from others around you. And I think um, there's a quote, and I can't remember who it's attributed to, but the smartest people in the room are the ones that are doing the most listening, usually. Um, they're, the, they're the quiet ones that will take it all in, and then they might give their opinion or they, they might ask questions, but they're not the ones that are constantly raising their hand or leading all the meetings. Um, and so I think that, that kind that can kind of look different in different industries. But particularly in yours, I would assume that there's a lot of big personalities, right? And so if you're intimidated by that, it can, of course, affect your self-esteem and make you feel like you're not fitting a certain mold or you're not as accomplished or maybe you're not as great of a writer yet. Um, But everyone started somewhere. And I think that's kind of what your story is showing is that, you know, you you worked all these years and just a year ago, you got your big break on the thing about Pam, which I mean, that was a great show um it's based on a true story um can you talk us through some of the prep that you had to do because you really used your journalism degree and i remember talking to you during this time and at first because i didn't i wasn't super familiar with the story until you told me about it um at first i was like wow that's some pretty dark stuff and then once obviously i researched more i mean this this is these are people's lives like this actually happened and it's a terrible thing that happened so can you talk to us about the prep but also like how that affected you emotionally and mentally as as a as a producer
1: so the thing about pam first of all it's a story a midwest story which i really related to and it's about this woman pam hub who is really relatable she's like your friend she's like your neighbor a person you go to church with and she's been you know accused allegedly of killing three people she's confirmed she's been convicted and has a life sentence in prison right now for killing one person. But, um, she's this really manipulative and maniacal person who has turned this small town of Troy, Missouri, um, into like complete chaos, you know, like she was the last person to see three different people, um, before they died. One of them was her best friend, the second one is her mom, and the third one is this disabled man who she murdered, Louis Gumpenberger. And so the the show chronicles like the three different murders and the trials surrounding them. So there was so much prep. Um, I was the first person hired onto the show. Um, Jessica Borcherski hired me. She was the um, the first showrunner on the show and the person who like uh sort of came up with the idea to turn it into like an on-screen idea adaptation sorry an on-screen adaptation and um i was handed like just thousand page um court transcripts and just had to pour over those for months trying to find the most interesting parts and um you know interviewed tons of people in Troy, Missouri, who were relatives of the people who passed away and also relatives of the murderer, Pam Hupp. Um, A lot of the interviews were really upsetting and sad and felt like therapy sessions. Um, You know, when you're speaking to someone whose mom died in a really brutal way you have to approach that very differently than someone who's just interviewing someone just for the facts. Um, And I became like really close with all of these people and including a man who was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to prison for three years. Um, And just listening to him talk and listening, you know, his name is Russ Faria. And I just like, I learned so much about like forgiveness from him and, he he's surprisingly like so positive and uplifting for someone who was wrongfully convicted and like lost several years of his life and his wife um and his whole family it was just um so this show was incredibly difficult to work on and to craft a story created around these really tragic things that happened to these people um and I think because I, I've i really only ever worked on real stories. Um, so I feel like I was like in training for this, this role, my whole um, career. And yeah, it just, it was really, it was very difficult as well, because I was like our, I was one of the producers, but my main role was like researcher and like interviewing people. So I ended up having, like, I was the one who had to look at all the crime scene photos. and. Um, You know, I was tasked with writing to Pam Hupp in prison. Um, She wrote me like a really cryptic letter back um, on in pencil on half of a page of ruled paper. And it said, like, who are you with? Who are you? What do you want? And then the last sentence was, I thought you knew everything, dot, dot, dot. (laughs)
0: That is, um, can I just say, that is scary because I feel like it just shows how absolutely insane and potentially mentally ill she is. For For someone to allegedly kill all these people and the people that you named, her best friend had cancer. Her mom, I mean, that's your mom. They'd be like, mm-hmm. Finn killing me. I would pr- please pray to God. <laughs> that never happens. And then – you know, the disabled man, I was like, I'm pregnant, but I cried during that scene. And my husband, Ozzy was like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, because like of all the people for her to pick on and then create, you know, this, pull him into her web of lies and, and her money schemes. Why him? Oh my gosh. Anyway, I could go on. You have to watch the show if you have not seen it, but, um, all of this is making a lot of sense because she really did sound like just seemed like a very evil at the core of who she is, like an evil, diabolical and really unstable person. Yeah, and really manipulative.
1: Like, yeah the the core of the show is really how she was able to fool an entire police department, detectives, a district attorney. She was able to really. Um, use her like Midwest charm and just like, I'm the everyday woman um, to her advantage and um, really turned the story onto this other person. Um, so she's, she's now currently being convicted for the murder of her best friend, Betsy Faria. Um, I th- I'm, I think it'll go to trial in like September. I'm not really sure. Um, but I'm really excited to to watch that and hopefully bring justice to a family who still doesn't have answers about like how their mom, their sister, their daughter
0: died. So um, yeah, it's really upsetting. How do you, how do you manage that um, from a wellness perspective? Because obviously the work that you're doing is pretty heavy Um, or I'm, I know you've moved on from that show now because the show is over, but during that time, it was also COVID, it's lockdowns, quarantine. I remember um, I saw you for the first time in two years recently, and it was emotional because none of us could really see each other for a long time, um, especially living so far away. So how, how have you been and what have you done for your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health um, in light of COVID? And, and how, is that, how has your relationship with all of that changed in, in the pandemic? Um, yeah, it was really hard to be working on
1: such a you know, scary topic while during the pandemic. Um, I, to be honest, I still have nightmares about Pam. Like she, she appears in my nightmares a lot more than I'd, more than I'd like to admit. Um, but you know, during COVID especially, I, I'd never really focused on my mental health Um, like, yeah, living in California and just, like, working out more and the lifestyle here that's, like, built in, but in terms of, like, um, getting diagnosed with depression and anxiety, um, I felt like during COVID, I really became determined to, like, work on myself more because, like, what else was there to do? (laughs) Um, You know, it, it was, so I really used that time to to put my mental health forward and like my first therapy session was at the beginning of COVID. Um, and you know, I met with a psychiatrist and I finally got on medication for my depression and anxiety. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been going steady with a therapist for like two years. Um, and it was just like so helpful. I also like, um, started to focus a lot more on my, like, health issues. Um, I was diagnosed with endometriosis and finally, like, saved up enough money to, like, have surgery to, um, like, take care of that problem. So I felt like as the world slowed down and as my industry, like, really shut down, I was, it was kind of a blessing. I know it wasn't for most people, but in a way it was a little bit of a blessing just for me because I got to slow down a little bit and listen to my body for the first time like ever um, and started really focusing on the things that was were good for me. So yeah, I think I just like connected with my body more, which I've always felt like really separate from my body. I felt like my body was just this thing that got me from point A to point B was kind of like a car. And I like was never changing the oil on my car. I don't, on my body. I don't know. That's a ridiculous <laughs> no, analogy, <I> get it. <laughs> but <laughs> do you know what I mean? I yes. was just like, I, in order for me to drive somewhere and, and not break down in my car, you have to service your car. But like, I was not servicing my body.
0: Yeah. So, um, and it sounds like you're yeah. also servicing your mind, your spirit, you know, your, your emotional health too, because I think so often, um, people think when I talk about wellness, especially cause that's, you know, a huge part of this podcast, um, and my platform and what I stand for, a lot of people think it's what you look like. And truly, when I say this, it's, Comple- it's honestly completely the opposite. Well true wellness and well-being comes from the inside out because I feel like once you start taking care of yourself emotionally and mentally and spiritually, the ex the external stuff like it just shines through. So you'll be you'll appear happier, you'll appear more attractive, honestly. I think the happiest people that I know also are the most beautiful. and it's not because they look a certain way. It's because like it really shines from within. So I'm happy to hear that, obviously, as your best friend, that you are taking care of yourself. But also I'm happy that you've you've really carved out like a routine for yourself, it sounds like, um, on a day-to-day basis that helps maintain, maintain your well-being and also keeps that um, check engine light off <laughs> and, and the oil changed. So talk to us a little bit about that. So what does a day in the life of Miranda look like? Are you Going to an office? Are you, you know, you live in Venice Beach? I know I can say that because it's pretty, pretty common knowledge. And I think you might have mentioned it. Um, And plus, I feel like Venice is big enough to where people don't know where to find you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe, um, but no, no one, no one's gonna come like stalking me. Like you never know. It's, Internet's a weird place, and there's actually a lot of international listeners, which is kind of cool. Um, but oh. uh, I want to know just like what's a day in the life of a California girl like? Because here I am, you know, I used to live in DC, then I lived in Chicago, and now I'm in Michigan for a little bit, and it's just such a different lifestyle on the East Coast Midwest versus the West Coast for sure yeah
1: yeah definitely um thank you for also indulging in my uh car analogy i'm gonna use that one You're the best tom will love um, that great um uh, i love tom uh <laughs> so every day is like a little bit different just because i'm i don't have like a nine to five job but um i usually wake up around and i'm um, sorry just just for You um, I went like real. I have like a macro way that I've listed. I don't know,
0: <laughs> how, I don't know how you like, just answer context. it however you want. I promise. It's like there's no right answer. Some people have gone 6 a.m. I do this, 7 a.m. I do that. Some people have said I usually grab coffee, take my dog for a walk, and then I go to sleep. And okay, like, so just, yeah, whatever you're okay, comfortable
1: yeah. Sharing. I um, I loved listening to your episode last week where it was oh. like all about you.
0: Um, <laughs> that's so and Funny, I hated that one, but I didn't have a guest. Really? So I was like, I have to record something.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I loved it. Case and I actually listened to it together. Oh Case gosh. Was-
0: <laughs> Great. shes like, she wakes up before 5 AM. <laughs> that's so like, yeah. funny to me. Cause I feel like that's like, just, that's the only thing I know my whole career. Yeah.
1: Well also like you're a working mom. So you yeah. like, and I think you know, the reason I think I should be interviewing you is because it's that, like you not only are raising a family, but you have one a nine to like 8 PM job. And then you have Literally. like so
0: many side hustles. So like, <laughs> you're so inspiring. Um, but so not, but also I feel like everything is so selfish that I do, but that's a whole other thing to unpack. Like, I feel like hopefully this podcast helps inspire people, but essentially it's because I wanted to start something that like, I was passionate about. So, like, that is selfish. It's selfish to do that. I don't know. Um, nah. But I'm glad you well, liked the episode. Well, we'll
1: unpack that,
0: Kayla. You, well, yeah, um, I know. you. I should take advice from you because you actually have seen a therapist and I haven't seen one since I was, like, 20. So. <laughs> it's so um, helpful. Yeah, um, I know. I need to get back in it. But I want to talk about your day because I, okay, am int- day I actually routine. genuinely love this part of the interview every time.
1: Okay. So I'm going to give you the macro version just because you can cut out whatever you want. Um, But like I said, um, because I don't have a standard nine to five job, my days are sometimes very different, but usually I wake up around seven and now for my like first favorite part of the day, I just stare at Millie basically for like a half hour and I've been really practicing mindfulness. And I realized that she's my biggest asset for mindfulness because I'm so obsessed with her. And she's your I dog. A, she's my dog. Sorry. Yeah. Millie is my dog. <laughs> she's she's a beagle. She's three years old. She has these really long velvety ears and these like big brown droopy eyes. And um, she, we got her at the beginning of the pandemic and she's fully – like saved my life and definitely my partner case's life. Like we, I don't know what we'd do without her. Um, So I wake up at seven. I, I actually like, I'm not lying. I stare at her for like a half hour just while she's waking up. (laughs) She's she's a really lazy beagle. So I kind of have to like force her to wake up. Um, And, and she's really funny. She's kind of like a teenager who you're like dragging out of bed by their feet to get to school Um, so she reluctantly gets up, I take her for a walk. And I think like, one of the most important parts of my day is interacting with my neighbors. Um, And this all also happened during COVID a little bit before that. But like being so far away from my family, it's really important to me to like create a community wherever I am. And my neighbors, since it's, since we live in California and it's really nice out almost every single day, I usually run into like, you know, at least three of them. And they really keep me sane on a day-to-day basis. Just those like small conversations we have, whether it's about their kids going to school or a vacation that they just took or like arranging a play date for our dogs. That part of my day is so important. And my neighbors have actually become like my family. Um, And in particular, one of my neighbors, um, I'm current, like, she's, she's the one who works at John Wells and she's the reason that I just like sold the show to them. So um, talk to everybody in your (laughs) past people. Um, And shout out to Aaron John Tao, who is the best neighbor, the best dog mom and a really great boss. Um, but so I, I talk to my neighbors and then usually come home around eight. I shower. I have like a whole multi-layered skincare routine. Love Um, it. Love it. What are some of your
0: favorite products? Do you have any off the
1: top of your head? Yeah. I'm a huge Josie Moran follower. She, she has like, she's really into like arrogant oil-based skincare treatments. Um, and it's just like Oily goodness. Um, so I use her a lot, and then I also use—I don't know if I'm saying this right. I use Glossier. Glossier? Oh yeah. hmm
0: I think it's Gloss. It?
1: I think it's Glossier.
0: Glossier. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, but like I'm just like every you know skincare junkie. I'm constantly buying new things. Well, your skin's wasting- amazing
0: though. I mean, thank you. Let's be on- like if you could see miranda right now it's i don't think i've ever seen you wear makeup except at my wedding which i may i paid the makeup artist to put makeup on you or else you probably wouldn't have worn makeup um not that you needed it but everyone had to look uniform you know um but no your skin is amazing so whatever you're doing it's working
1: no noelle did the same thing for her wedding um so i i love you guys for turning me into a girl for the day um but yeah instead of like spending money on makeup i just spend like a lot of money too much money on skincare products um and then case and i eat breakfast together around 9 um and we like that's really important we can't always gather for dinner because he works a lot of overtime but we can always spend breakfast together um and usually in the mornings we watch um, YouTube videos. Our favorite channel is called Never Too Small, which is about architects who design like um, 500 square feet spaces or smaller. Like the one I watched this morning was 150 square feet that they designed. And it's really like doing a crossword puzzle for me, like watching the way that they arrange these rooms to maximize like space and creativity for the person who's living there. And um, It's also just like a lesson in minimalism too. And just like, you don't need all of these things. It's just stuff, you know, and watching this channel, it's just like, these are the things you need to live. And, you know, anyway, so Never Too Small is really great. Um, Then around 9.30, Case goes to work and you're going to think I sound crazy. But after he goes to work, I like every day, I... I do like a soft clean and organizing of the whole house um, <laughs> because this, is this is like, it's just a part of my routine. Like I need the house to look a certain way before I can sit down and write. Like if my house is disorganized, if there's like stuff all over the coffee table, my brain feels unorganized. So I need like a clean space and need it to feel a little Zen in order to to start writing. Um, and then around like 10 30 or 11, I finally make my first cup of coffee. Um, what,
0: how do you go that long without coffee?
1: I don't know. I used to be like a four cup of coffee kind of gal. Um, but I have like really bad acid reflux and like issues with my bladder. And so for a while I gave up coffee, which was, incredibly terrible to the people around me. I'm so <laughs> sorry to my boyfriend Case. Um, but then I worked out a routine where I somehow am able to just have coffee at around 11 a.m. Um, and I make it on an espresso machine, which is also a part of my day where I practice mindfulness. Like. I before the pandemic, I used to go to coffee shops and like exclusively right there because I just loved listening to all the mechanics of somebody making a like fancy cup of coffee. Like, you know, the way it sounds when they um steam the milk or clean the tools. Like it's all just so inspiring to me. So actually learning how to do it myself during the pandemic was really fun and um, you know, makes me feel accomplished. I can make a great oat milk latte now. Um,
0: so and you're saving a lot of money, not going to those coffee shops, making it at home. right.
1: Yeah. It's like a whole production making it, but it's just like one of those parts of my day where I'm like really practicing mindfulness and tuning into like one thing. Um, and it feels like, yeah, something that I'm doing for myself. Like you, I feel so great when I go to a coffee shop and this like cute drink is in front of me. So That was also something during the pandemic that was just so fun to learn. Um, And then, yeah, after I have my cup of coffee, I sit and write for like three solid hours. Um, I really believe in not trying to write from like nine to five because my brain just gets so burnt out and I'm like way more productive in like the three to four hours a day that I set aside than if I were to just like stare at a screen and like bang my head against the wall when I can't think of an idea every minute, you know? Um, so, and then like some days before I write like three to four days a week, I have a gym membership. I go to the gym. Um, and so that like three to four days a week. And then on the days that I don't do that, if I have to run an errand, I take my bike um, and I also I also take Millie for like six walks a day. She's really spoiled. <laughs> um, so, and those are other parts of my day where I really practice mindfulness. Um, and then around four or five p.m., like three to four days a week, while I was an assistant, I developed a side hustle of walking dogs. And I used to walk a ton. Now I just walk a few, but I ended up keeping that side hustle, not because I like necessarily need all of the money, but it became such an important part of my routine. Um, I've always been really drawn to dogs and they make me the happiest, like, you know, my friends have a joke, like, you can't walk down the street with me. You'll lose me to a dog like 50 yards back. Um I have so a really yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so it just like became like my favorite escape, just like walking other people's dogs. And I've made some really great friends, um, like the owners of the dogs doing so. And it's really a great like ending to my like work day. And During my walks with these dogs and with Millie, if I have writer's block where I'm like struggling with a scene or struggling with inspiration, I always, always find it on these walks. Um, And like I used to listen to podcasts or listen to music on the walks, but um, like the past couple of years, I've just like really used the walks to One, I keep saying mindfulness, but I can't stress how important it is to practice mindfulness. Um, I like, you know, it's going to sound creepy or weird, but like, I will just pay attention to the way the dog's, um, you know, nails sound on the pavement or just the things that they gravitate towards on the walks or the way the wind feels or, um, and yeah, that just became like the best escape. And then after those walks come home. Either I or Case make dinner. Um, We have like, we're both Virgos. Like the Virgos main trait is organizing and just like being really type A about everything. So on our fridge, it's like, you know, all these different tiny little post-it notes in like this schedule. And we just like map out (laughs) for the week what we're going to cook. So um, usually uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays are my day. So either Case or I make dinner. And then we watch something or read a book together or I like watch case play video games Then um, another skincare routine before bed. And then my favorite part of the day is carrying my beagle Millie to bed. Um, <laughs> she like at the end of the night, all you have to say is like, want to go night night? And she like rolls over on her back, puts her legs up and just like melts into my chest and it's it's just like the best ending to the day and i wrap her like a burrito and she's just a cozy little beagle all night
0: <laughs> that is probably the most thorough but also amazing day in the life <laughs> that i've heard because it sounds so balanced and i'm look i work a 9 to 5 but I always front load my day um, with the most creative work between the hours of 8.30 and noon because I know that that's when I'm my sharpest. That's when I have the best ideas. That's when my writing flows. And anything after like the lunchtime hour is more admin or meetings if I can help it. Um, So hearing that from just a writer's perspective, not even like corporate, but just knowing that basically you kind of do the same thing too where you kind of front load your day with the work and then... You only have so many hours of work in you. You can't really work. No one is meant to work, in my opinion, like 50, 60, 70 hours a week. I think that's so unhealthy, but um,
1: just, hearing how you,
0: just hearing how you structured that and then incorporated mindfulness and movement too with all the dog walks, be it Millie or others, I feel like that's another key component of it, right? Like you're just moving your body. You're eating intuitively. Um, so, or so it sounds. You're managing caffeine, you're managing stress. Like you're actually kind of a wellness guru, Miranda. I'm very oh, impressed. Stop. I Absolutely knew this I knew not. this before, but just hearing it like confirmed in this interview makes me so proud. <laughs> just happy <Thanks>. for you. <laughs>
1: I guess I, I guess I missed all the food as well. Like I do actually eat like pretty healthy. No, you um, do. Who I I follow? I think she's called Healthy Girl Kitchen. She's actually based yes. out of Michigan. Yes. Um, I I obviously found her because of you. Um, <laughs> but, I love her. But um, basically, you and her are like like, Kayla Brandon and Healthy Girl Kitchen make up all my like recipes,
0: um, which is hilarious because I feel like I don't even post that many anymore. Cause oh my I'm god, so have you
1: Finn if you look at my phone, like just the other day, you posted this delicious, like cucumber, corn, black bean, tomato, feta salad. I have a screenshot
0: of it on my phone. I actually had a few people DM me and I was like, this actually was inspired by TikTok, I will say, but I, I always revise recipes to make it like, I'm, I just, I can't do with like a million ingredients and like different things. I just, if it's, If it's easy, I'll definitely make it. Um, And that one was super good. Ozzy loved that. He was like, wow, why don't we eat like this more? I'm like, the hell? (laughs) I cook pretty nice meals every night. And it's the one thing that took me like five minutes to make. Um, So yeah, highly recommend. But no, you do – I feel like you have a really good overview um, or you gave a good overview rather of a day that doesn't have to be so rushed, which I love. Do you have any other – recommendations for resources for people who are maybe trying to live like a more mindful, healthy, holistic life. Because as you mentioned, um, you don't like listen to podcasts as much when you're on your walks or music. Um, but I'm assuming you might have a few things. And I know you're an, you're a, uh, you know, an avid reader.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I think, And I didn't really learn this until I started dating my boyfriend. We've been together for four and a half years now. And he's from the Netherlands. um, And like, he really values a work-life balance. And at first, when I first started dating him, I was just like, oh my God, like, you can't have it both ways. Like you either have a career and you're very passionate and you work every hour of the day till your death or you're just like a housewife and I'm not going to be a housewife. Um, Not that being a housewife is bad. My mom was a, you know, a stay at home mom, but I had that, I had that opinion of like, if you're not working yourself into the grave, then you know, you might as well not be doing anything and, um, I, like you said, I found out that I was like so much more productive when I was taking more time for myself. Um, I signed up, well, I signed up for a gym. I, um, I have like a subscription to a massage place here and I go like every two weeks, which seems super bougie. And I felt like it was really bougie too. Like I didn't have my first massage until I was 28. Um, but. I realized, like, as a writer and as someone who works at their computer all day, it you get so tense in your shoulders, and like places you wouldn't even believe. So, like that for me feels like a mental health, like a wellness thing that you can like do for yourself. Um, and there's places like you know you can get Groupon's, and like I'm not someone who has a lot of money, but I was able to like find a place that like fits within my budget. Um, uh so I think like, yeah, I don't want to give Case like all of the credit, but he really taught me how to have like a work-life balance. And it's, you know, that European way that I really aspire to have forever. <laughs> and I, you know, I just, in like being over there for two months, they really treat their employees and they're like, everybody just has, just feels like they have everything figured out over there. But I I still do listen to podcasts because like, as most people know, like the stereotype in LA is true. There's a lot of traffic here. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes I do tune everything out and just like do nothing in the car, which some people say is like sociopathic. But um, I do have two podcasts that I'm obsessed with um, other than Life Well Lived. (laughs) Um, there's a podcast called Smartless, which is Jason Bateman, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes's podcast.
0: I've heard um, so many good things about that pod. I need to listen to it. It's so good. Yeah. And
1: you know, their podcast, it's called Smartless because the people they bring on, they're like, you're smarter than me. Tell me about your life. And, you know, um, it's, it's really fun. And they, they interview people who are in my industry, people who I really look up to, um, and it's, you know, people's like origin stories and it's really, um, inspiring for me to hear their stories and hear like what inspires them, how they got to where they are. Um, and then my second favorite one, I think you also listen to it is Armchair
0: Expert with Dax Shepard. I'm obsessed with his show. I think he's, I, I love him. I think he's a little bit of a narcissist sometimes, but he is so good at interviewing people. And he's also just, his voice is like butter. I just love his voice.
1: I know? Well, and the best thing about Dax is he's so self-aware. Like he he says he, he will call himself a narcissist. Right. Right. You know, (laughs) I honestly, like I started listening to his podcast before I, you know, found a therapist of my own. So like Dax Shepard felt like my therapist, as as I'm sure many other people feel the same way about him. Um, but yeah, and it just like hearing how self-aware he is, is, you know, helped me reflect on myself too. And um, yeah, it just, I really love that podcast. And he does, he also, he interviews people about their origin stories, but it feels like somehow, and I'm sure you can elaborate more on this, it feels like it's in the wellness and mental health space yeah. as
0: well. Yeah. And addiction and sobriety. And I love how he he always ties it back to sobriety somehow in almost every episode. So I've noticed because that's a huge part of who he is. And I know that we both have, you know, can probably talk on a totally separate podcast about alcohol and like the the way it influences your mental health and how crappy it makes you feel um, and if that's your jam, like if you like, like it, that's totally fine. But I think as you, most people, as they get older, tend to either drink less or they totally cut it out because yeah. they realize that, oh, I'm actually like, I love my life with, without it. and <laughs> I'm a much happier person. And so um, it makes sense that he now, um, his, his instance was like full-blown addiction, basically like ruined his life almost. And could have lost everything so for him it has to be part of the conversation right so whenever i hear him interview people and then he talks about things like sobriety some people might get annoyed thinking like he's obsessed with it but really like when you are coming from the throes of addiction to a life that's completely sober it is ingrained in who you are so um i would just add that to anyone who's listening and who hasn't you know checked out his podcast is it is kind of a thread that's woven throughout. It's not a main focus in every single episode by any means. But if you are interested in maybe cutting out alcohol or you have someone that you love that's addicted, I think his, it's just so healing. I've listened to so many episodes about people who go through addiction recovery and come out, come out on the other end because I have someone in my own life who's very addicted and, and it's, terrible what it, it's a terrible disease what it can do to someone who was once so different and so happy. So um, it was a tangent, but I'm advocating for his podcast because of that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so inspiring. I, I honestly, I'm, I've always been so gravitated towards people who used to be addicts. I don't, and I think it's because I'm so inspired by them. Like they've overcome this like inner demon that had control over their lives. And I I just find them, like, to be the most interesting, grateful, like, grounded people. Um, and, you know, the way they talk about the 12-step program, it's, like, their form of church. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and, like, I, you know, just like you, I, I gave up alcohol, like, I think it's been, like, over two years now. Um, and, like you said, we could talk about that on a whole whole nother podcast (laughs) yeah that's that's also been so relieving because i think even before i gave it up like i didn't want to be drinking but i would just do it because it felt like that's what i just should be doing that's what's socially acceptable but it was incredibly freeing just to be like actually is there like an alcohol-free option you know and uh yeah so it's it's been really liberating actually
0: yeah i i can totally relate to that feeling. It's actually more freeing to I would say like have the control to not drink and know that like you're not going to feel like left out or anything as opposed to feeling like you have to in order to have fun or fit in or be happy or relieve stress, which was my case, was a stress reliever. Um there's so much freedom on the other side. Um and you don't have to be an addict like neither of us were and we're just like not drinking right now and that's okay. So I will always plug that wherever I can because I think it's just really important to talk about. Um, But I've taken up far too much of your time. I know you are very busy and we're on opposite coasts. So you're wrapping up your work day. I'm ending my entire day (laughs) with, um, with this interview. Um, But I just want to thank you again for your time and wanted to ask you wholeheartedly, like this is the most important question of the entire show um, in every episode, but I feel like you really, are going to have an answer that I feel like will resonate with a lot of people. So Miranda, what does living, Miranda, what does living a life well lived mean to you? Wow. No pressure. Um, honestly,
1: I honestly think living a life well lived for me personally, just with everything I've been through, everything I've overcome, I think it just means like trying my best every single day and not getting mad at myself like not having the like negative self-talk scroll in my head that's so easy to default to if I'm having an off day or if someone reject, rejects a script or an idea that I have um, you know or like not hating myself for not getting to the gym every day. Um, it it really just like I'm trying my best, and I'm. I think that's what's most important because there have been moments in my mental health journey where I've just like not tried at all, where I haven't been able to leave the house, or I haven't. I haven't. I I would go months without even one small win, and the negative self talk was debilitating and you know made me question if I still wanted to like be here and so I really like through therapy and you know getting on medication I really just like wake up every day and like incredibly grateful and just like have a mantra of like just try your best today and you know it's okay if you don't it's okay if you don't sprint to the finish line. So, I yeah. That's it. I don't know if that was like a okay answer,
0: but No, that was I think the small I think the small shifts in the mindset are honestly the most profound and we all need to give ourselves more grace because I certainly can relate to having high expectations and having a full to-do list and then when you don't get everything done, you feel like a failure and that's just okay. not the case maybe we should just lower our standards for ourselves
1: yeah exactly um i always tell like i always tell you if you're ever feeling down about yourself just please call me because i'm ready with a speech for you about like how wonderful and i mean i just like you'll probably cut this out of the interview but i think you're like the best most caring, generous, like wonderful person on the planet. You're such a good mom. It's been like so cool watching as your best friend, how you've like adapted into this new role. And I just, I can't wait to meet your kids as adults to see how they turn out with you as a mom. I just like, I cry thinking about it. I just like love
0: you and Ozzy so much. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm definitely keeping that in because that made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside and it's not every day that you get compliments like that. Um, so we need to just remember this, um, moment, but also it's, it's just such an honor to be able to share your story because so often you are sharing other people's stories. You're asking other people about their lives. And I think it's just would be such a disservice to society, frankly, for, us not to focus on you for once and share just all that you have to offer because it's so much and i know for a fact you're so generous with your time too so you help mentor people who have questions about the industry or moving out to california from like you know the midwest or the east coast or something so i really wanted to get your story out there so that also you know you could just continue to be you and and people can reach out and i'm sure that you'll get a lot of questions so if people do want to reach out can they find you On Instagram, are you still monitoring it? I know you've had like a love-hate relationship with it, as have many others who have been on the show.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on Instagram. I think my handle is like Miranda Carolyn, which is my middle name, C-A-R-O-L-A-N. Yeah, so please DM me. I will check it. I am on private um, just because I um, like, don't need to get into it. We had we had like a weird family stalker at one point. So that's why I'm on private. Um, But uh, yeah, please message me. I'm like, I'm so happy to, to talk to you about like moving to California or just like pursuing another dream that you have. Like I would be so happy to hear from any of your listeners.
0: Well, thank you again for all of your time. I know I, I went way over, but I could just, I mean, you're my best friend, so I could talk to you forever, but especially about your life. It's just so interesting, and I'm, I'm so proud of you and all that you've accomplished, and I just can't wait to see where everything takes you, life and career and otherwise.
1: Yeah. Hopefully, you know, next time you interview me, uh, you know, the thing we're talking about is it's like created by or written by. So, you know, talk to me in five years. We'll maybe be in a different place. Who knows?
0: Yes, I would love to. I can't wait. Um, thank you again, and we will see you soon. I love you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Kayla underscore underscore Brandon. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.